people say hello and welcome to Composers Roundtable episode 7. My name is Samuel Tornquist. I'm here with my fellow composers Simon Arborjay and Reed Roosevelt. Today we are also pleased to be joined by composer Lautaro Arinho, or Lau as he likes to be called. He's a game composer and he has worked on games like Obsidian Prince, Heroes Hour and Blue Racer. So welcome Lau to the Composers Roundtable. Thank you. Thank you very much. So how did you get involved with music? Uh, yeah, so my involvement with music professionally started as a dancer. Uh, in my late teens, I, I, I fell in love with uh, Latin jazz and Afro-Cuban uh, music. And I had some friends that were uh, doing salsa dancing to this music. Uh, so they started teaching me and I, I became like really into it and just practiced and started traveling to learn. Uh, I grew up in, in Westeros, uh, it's the name of uh, my hometown in Sweden. And then I moved to Stockholm to the, to the capital to join a, a bigger dance team. And yeah, I, I spent 10, 15 years working as a dancer um, and we would be doing choreographies to music that we liked. So we would edit the songs to make them shorter and better suited for for a, a strong choreography or we worked with live music as well. Uh, so we had to yeah, learn how to uh, count beats and uh, uh, rhythmics and stuff like that. So I guess that was my first involvement. Uh, I ended up in, in Switzerland. I lived there for four years, opened my own dance studio. But then I, I uh, um, realized that I wanted to have a normal job uh, for a while. So I, I moved back to, to, to Sweden to uh, study uh, computer programming. So I became a software developer. And uh, while doing that, I had this period where I just were totally obsessed listening to music from my childhood, from from video games, something that I always listened to. But I think I had a period of three or four years where it was like an aching obsession, like I couldn't get enough. I would listen to this all the time. So I just decided that I, this means something. I need an outlet. So I decided to start to learn uh, uh, music composition and music theory and uh, everything else that you need to to recreate this music because I, I wanted to be a part of it, not just listen to it. And uh, yeah, and then I, I thought that I need an outlet for that too. I need a goal. I need something to to do with the creativity. So I started uh, contacted people that made games. And I was like, hey, I can make music for your game. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's how 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 this uh, new profession of mine started. Sounds really interesting. Cool. So you said something about uh, training. Do you have any musical training or have you studied anywhere? Yes, I studied at the University of YouTube <laughs> with, <laughs> with, the, with you. Uh, this is one, one example. Yeah, no, no, no. I just uh, like I, I knew I knew stuff like I understood the rhythmics because of the dance. 
And I knew that that uh, uh, music have to harmonize, otherwise it sounds bad and you don't enjoy that. And I knew that if you take a keyboard and you take the white keys and take like one and then skip one and the next one and skip one, then usually it sounds good and it's called a chord. Uh, <laughs> so with that, I started Googling and, and, uh, and uh, YouTubing and everything else. That's how I learned. Uh, and also, yeah, friends, uh, my, my, my girlfriend that I'm living with now, uh, she actually has uh, a more uh, background of, of education. She, she went, uh, um, how do you say someone in English, like um, uh, gymnasium? What's that? That's like... Um, high school is the equivalent, but... Uh, yeah, so, so it's a musical high school. Mm-hmm. So, so like a performing arts, like a performing arts school. Yeah, uh, like mm-hmm. like fame or you know like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a special yeah. so arts school. Yeah, she she is she's uh, often my my uh, coach uh, at least, uh, and uh, and my muse, and she's very good at making sense when I when I get into trouble, when I don't know how to resolve a composition or something like that. She has been guiding me really, really good. She has a, a, a very good ear. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, uh, m- most of the things that I can be happy about today that I, I feel have matured in my music, I think I owe to her because it was very chaotic before mm. i think it can still be but i think that uh, uh, if it's just chaos then you can't really get a powerful sound either it will just be uh, a mess mm. yeah true yeah it's so nice that you have that music uh, or what you want to call it i that really makes a difference when you can oh definitely it. yeah it does yeah. It's like the tow truck that comes along and and pulls you out of the ditch when you when you when you've ran off the road. It's like you know, let's go. You know, so that's great. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, 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 it is. Very good point, actually. Something to think about that whatever you have, you know, family or kids or anyone, somebody close, it's it's or friends or community. It's it's really valuable. So, yeah. So I was wondering yeah. a little bit. Um, how do you become interested in like making? You know, you've done, I know you've done games and stuff. We might talk more about that later. But how did you become interested in actually doing music on the computer? Is that, maybe it's that what everybody does nowadays. I don't know. Or did you start outside the computer? Or Yes. So I think that the thing is, the, yeah, I, 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 I don't have any way of controlling these urges that I had through life. <laughs> and, and, and this urge that made me go into this, was just about composing, um, about like, yeah, about composing. So I've tried my hardest to cut corners. Like there are, I'd love to talk to you about this because I <laughs> I never heard anybody else say it, but there are certain things that I just thought, I'm not gonna spend my time on this because it's not what I want to do. So for example, I don't know how to play an instrument. Mm. Uh, I can play a bit on the on the on the piano because I've been spending so much time with it, but I can't perform with any instrument because I just thought that I mean 
Of course, it's a great asset to be able to do it. But to be pro-efficient, I just realized that I would have to dedicate myself to it in a way that I don't want to wait with the composition until I can do that. So that's one of the things. There, there are some, some more things. But so I, I need a way to, to, to make my compositions manifest. Huh? Mm. So. So, so that's how the computer came in. So that was the yeah. way to actualize it. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people recognize themselves that way. I just want to say myself, I do play instrument and all that. But, but one of the reasons out of many that I became so enamored by composition is that I, I wasn't that guy who could practice whatever, five to seven hours a day. And maybe you don't have to be that much, but I'm just showing if you want to be a concert pianist, which I thought I was going to be once, I mean, that's kind of required. And I couldn't do it. It's just mm. not in me. Uh, and uh, no shame in that. There's just different ways of making music, and I found that composition was mine. So, you know, if you spend a lot of hours on that, that's the same thing, and that's another story, but I think you can practice your computer also, <laughs> or if you want to call that an instrument. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So actually, my, my girlfriend asked me that two nights ago, like, mm -hmm. what if you could choose any instrument to, and you could play it really well, would you want to? What instrument would it be? And uh, my instant reaction was yes, of course I would want to. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even I couldn't even decide like like the violin. Actually, the 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 viola. I think I would prefer. Mm -hmm. But but also piano is amazingly versatile. Uh, I'm always so amazed about how pianists can virtually do any style of music, and uh, just with a piano, uh, but also some of the woodwinds like um, uh, oboe or uh, uh, clarinet. I think it's really amazing when you hear a good soloist. Mm. Yeah. It's just that I, I, I feel awe and I feel uh, uh, a kind of jealousy when I hear them, but uh, I don't have that urge that would make me practice for hours to do it. Mm. I don't. Yeah I, know. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, and that's kind of the joy of having a computer. You have it all at your fingertips in a way. Uh, yeah. It's not the same as playing an instrument, obviously it's not, but it's still, I have this orchestra in my back pocket in a way. I, I like that feeling. Well, you <laughs> kind of do if you manage to understand how to guide this jungle of sample libraries and uh, their different qualities and techniques and everything. I mean, it's not, uh, uh, it's not that easy. No, but I still think that, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys out there and who says there, you have to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. Sure. There are a lot of rules, but I still think there's so many open new grounds here that it's very hard to define. And one shouldn't listen too much to the way or what's proper. I mean, for example, you just said you don't have a lot of uh, you don't have a lot of skill in music, but you still create amazing music. So, oh, yeah. what what would you actually start? How would you describe yourself? What's what kind of composer are you? What kind of um, music do you do? I mean, we know it's game music, but tell us more. Yeah, um, what kind of? I, I think I'm. I would describe myself as a composer. Uh, the same way as a computer coder, I'm the 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 bipolar kind because I spend half of the time 
being stressed out about that it's totally worthless and the other half I'm like I have created something and it goes <laughs> like that uh, no so from the start I mean it's all the amazing music that I grew up with uh, and that's I, I would say that the traditional the old school gay music it's a, a, a mix of the sounds because uh, the the te technological uh, the, the the machines were not that good at producing sounds, so they they sound very uh, synthetical. Uh, so th that's one thing. And the other thing is that the the people that worked with gay music at that time had to develop a kind of style of music that would and be able to output maximum of uh, expression with those limitations. But uh, style-wise, I would say a lot of that music is uh, uh, classical music and uh, metal music from the 80s and 90s. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I would dare to say that maybe those are the two biggest influences and they mixed with, with all this. And that's m my, my biggest influence. But now that I started uh, working with composition, yeah, I don't know how to describe myself because I all, always feel like I want to do everything. Like I haven't mm -hmm. done enough uh, funk music. I would love to do more like uh, world, world music. I haven't even done any traditional Cuban music, even if that was uh, what I worked with and what I studied for, for 15 years. So I have this enormous backlog of types of music that I, I feel, I feel like I am a composer that does that, but I haven't gotten around to doing it yet. It's oh, on my list to do. Well, it's great. So you talk, yep. Well, you're talking about like the, the video games of the eighties and nineties. And I remember with the, Atari 2600, mm -hmm. uh, that it it had just maybe, you could only output uh, just two or three notes. And the things that they had to do to uh, to create tones and sound effects and things. Yeah. And and uh, the Commodore 64, mm -hmm. uh, it, had, it had the first synthesizer on a chip. And it was like, so they, I mean, I, I can't imagine what those composers had to go through uh, back then because of the restrictions, the very restrictive uh, confinements that they had. So, you know, that's that's interesting uh, with what you're talking about today is that, you know, what uh, what restrictions or confinements are you are you seeing today or or have we moved past that to a point where where it just doesn't it, that that doesn't matter anymore because I guess we're able to do more with um, with like the audio and video streaming on the video game. So I, I think that's an interesting, just because I, I remember how excited I was to hear just like the music coming out of this Atari, <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it was phenomenal. And then uh, I had an Amiga 
that I was doing music on and I had an 8-bit sampler cartridge where I can sample like like uh, two seconds of audio, you know, and it was like, you know, it was horrible. But at the time, it was it was ground it was groundbreaking. At the same time, um, and then I I I think uh, Christopher Sue had uh, something about the music of Mario Kart, and it was absolutely full blown rock and jazz, just off the off the chain. I mean, so it's like. So we've come, we've come a long way, baby. Uh, you know, from where we started, and and so like I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, how are you working in the confinements of not being a keyboardist or that type of thing? You know, what tools have you been using to, uh, to be able to do that? To, to be able to to what to to be well able to, to create, uh, you know, what do you use to create those compositions? Because you know, I sit down and I can pr I can play kind of like what's in my head. But yeah. you know, working with the piano roll or something, it's like I have a hard time doing that. Uh, and and so I think the opposite is true for you. That probably you work mostly in the piano roll, um, and instead of you know playing like that. So uh -huh. that would be kind of fascinating to know what the confines you have. Mm -hmm. What do you find yourself running into? Um, you know, when you're doing that. It's like programming, you could say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How you know? What do you use to program? You know, what uh, platform are you using? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it, it is quite uh, uh, similar to what you guys do. Like mostly now, I use uh, Ableton, mm. uh, and I have uh, I have this thing because I want to become better at playing. So I have this thing that everything I do. Uh, I've, I forced myself to record it on a keyboard. So maybe I have to drag the tempo down or I have to do 10, 15 takes or after 15 takes, I'll be like, okay, that's good enough. I'll fix all the errors manually, <laughs> yeah. but I try to do it. Right? Yeah, it's good. And, and when I, when I, when I improvise and, and I try to like play around with ideas and stuff like that, I also try to have a more live playing kind of approach like for example i'm not very good at at, at uh, 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 playing a solo with my right hand and doing a complicated bass line with my left and also get some chords in that like you guys do i'm not very good at that so maybe I, i'll program so that i have two octaves with a, with a cool bass line so i just press press the the um the root note of the chord uh, and, and I program the scale, I mean. So I have some kind of bass comp. And then with the right hand, I'm able to improvise a melody. And then I, I have an idea and I'm like, okay, this seems to work. So I, I try it like 10, 15 times I, until I'm, I, I can play it good enough to record it. And yeah, I go from there. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's just not enough for what I have in my head. And then I go into the piano roll and I add some stuff like but m mostly uh, the 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 best i would say the most detailed version of my idea is intellectual because i'm not able to produce it with my my hands they don't have the the, the midi the midi to brain um, cable uh, no, <laughs> perfected no. yet i think elon musk is his next that's his next thing oh, yeah. i was going to say the exact yeah. same thing <laughs> yeah do you think maybe there's um connection between being a programmer or, because 
I don't know if we, if I'm if this is a question or not, but I I can see if you sort of put in data in a way. If I excuse me if I'm very crude in my language, I have a brother who's doing this stuff, uh, programming. I thought maybe there's something to that in programming music that makes sense. You understand that is a little bit different thinking, even though what you hear is always you know the same, perhaps, but the way you approach it. Does that for make sure, sense to you? For sure. Yeah. I, I I think it's I think in general. Well, I wouldn't say among musicians, but I think among, if you just take all people, musicians and non-musicians, th there's a big, uh, I, would, I don't know if I'm using the correct word, word by like ad adversity, like people don't like that you talk about creativity, music and things of passion, like if they would be the same thing as coding or mathematics or, or things like, like that. But I, I think that's a, that's a big uh, shame. I mean, yeah. uh, coders are known for being very square and stuff like that, but not at all. I think that maybe, yeah, uh, a lot of coders have more tendencies towards the kind of, uh, this is an exaggeration, but probably you find more people there that are on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So they, they don't maybe express themselves as vividly as others. But I would say among these people, they are passionate divas. And among coders, this, there's a lot of expressions in the code world that um, uh, associates coding with poetry. Like, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an art form, but music and art has a lot to do with patterns. Yeah, that's why we react to it, that it makes things fire in the brain because uh, the brain recognizes different patterns without us being con uh, conscious about it. Mm. And patterns are described by mathematics and and uh, logical rules just like coding but i just want to say Lau, that what you're describing i think musicians are quite similar to that description you know maybe you think that's not but you know a lot of musicians are loners they uh, i mean i'm not saying that you have to be a loner but just that they are by themselves and maybe on the autistic spectrum as well you know practicing yeah. all day and they express themselves through that mu music and i feel i worked some with orchestras and musicians and i feel a lot of musicians there they play amazingly but they have no personality at all when you talk, mm -hmm. I mean, that's evil. It's of course musicians are great people, but often I find that you know they have this amazing music, and then you talk to them, it's like, oh, what what happened? You disappeared. So what what you said about the coders, I, I feel like it fits a lot on musicians. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's specifically mm -hmm. classical, and for me, you know, music and math they have a lot in common. And especially as a composer, you have to figure out all these things how to put together with the rhythms and and the, the notes in the scale. So. And, yeah. and I feel, like, you know, as you know, also games, they're pieces of art as an example, just because there are codes and square in a way, it's still an expression. It still can be very yeah. interesting. Yeah. I, 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 can give you, uh, I can give you some examples, for example. The, I, I've been uh, totally blown away, like sometimes when I studied music theory and I, this is what I'm saying, that because people don't like when I bring this up. If they're not a musician, they will not like this. So I, I, I study, for example, classical uh, music. And when I say I study classical music, usually means that I'm looking at videos and YouTubing and banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out how can they make it sound? What is it that makes me react this way? Because 
that's my way of, of studying it. I don't read sheet music. That's another thing that I, I decided that it's going to take forever for me to, uh, uh, to, I mean, it's not hard to learn it, but to be able to use it as a tool when you're composing, like to just be able to read note and hear the music and just see it, I think I would have to practice so long time to be fluent in it. So I didn't do that. So what I do, do I, I find the, the classical song that I'm interested in understanding why, what makes it sound so good. And then I find it as a MIDI and I load it into a DAW and I analyze it in the piano roll. That's my way of studying the, the sheet music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I find the part that I like and I, and, uh, and I, I, I uh, figure out what the, the scale is or the, uh, the root and I, I see, okay, this part here, how does, what intervals does it use? How does it, uh, uh, how does it uh, evolve from the root note and so on? And I try to learn something about how to recreate that feeling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, but having done this, sometimes I realized that for example, classical music or film music or all the music that today that comes from 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 this music tradition, uh, it's very very intellectual. I mean, uh, when when you talk about coding and computers, yeah. So we have this concept of an algorithm. I, I don't know how how well versed you are, but basically you could say that an algorithm is like an instruction list on how to achieve something. Like step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, step four, repeat. So I'll give you an algorithm. And if you do this, you're going to have uh, this uh, result. In coding, it can be like this algorithm is going to sort all these numbers and put them in a nice row from lowest to highest. And it's going to do it in uh, the shortest time possible. That's a really good uh, algorithm, for example. So I see it as that the classical composers, they learn all these different uh, algorithms that were used in those times. Like, for example, a uh, counterpoint. You, you can, you can uh, create, I think, quite easily with the rules of counterpoint algorithms. Uh, that could make a computer compose after the rules of, of counterpoint. Uh, another another um, thing was, th there's this, um, it's usually played on the guitar. It's like a, is it a, the Burea in E? Uh, I don't what remember. It's, it's a piece, yeah, that mm -hmm. I, I was so fascinated by. I don't remember if it was Beethoven or Mozart. I, I uh, recognize the songs, I love them, but I never memorize who or when. Mm -hmm. This is also one of the things I thought that studying that kind of way, it's not going to help me. <laughs> I, 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 I recognize the songs. So there's this one part in this song uh, I think a lot of people that are not school musicians will recognize this song from uh, um, uh, Jack Black, the, the Tenacious D movie, because they did a rock version. Thank you. Yes. yes. Uh, horrible. Yeah, I mean, do, song. do you remember, remember the name of, of that one? 
No, uh, I should know that, shouldn't I? Jesus. So anyway, one of the <laughs> most amazing parts when I analyzed this was uh, using nodes that were not in the scale. Hmm. And that amazed me. Uh, I remember the first time I analyzed this song. That amazed me, and also it kind of broke my programmer heart because I, I was at that point I was thinking like, okay, if I learn the rules, if I understand the scale, then I will have what I need to make this kind of music. But then when I realized that some of the best parts were not in the key it was supposed to be in, I was like, so how do you know then? Mm -hmm. So I was like very confused for a while. But then I realized that reading some history, that in this time, they had the notion that you should, it was the minor, um, uh, what is it, you use the minor harmonic scale going up and the uh, minor melodic scale going down. Mm. So I was thinking that we were, I was thinking that this piece in this, is in the harmonic scale and it goes up and all the notes are in the key, but then when it goes down, that's when it sounds so cool because it's not using the same notes because it's cha it changed to the to the uh, to the melodic scale. Mm -hmm. And when I realized when I read this, I just started practicing, take the the scale up and then change the scale going down, and I could hear this part. It just mm. popped up, mm. and I was like one of the best pieces in classical music. And what he did was just follow this simple rule. Mm. If you're going upwards, use this scale. If you're going downwards, use this scale. Yeah. So I, I don't mean to belittle. They, are, they were, of course, geniuses. But what I realized that people don't like when you talk about is, one, they studied and practiced really hard. Two, they were very, very, very well supported because in those days, I, I guess people don't realize that, but the music theory was very, very advanced and very, uh, very precise. I think that they were, my impression, I don't know if, if you um, have any other impression, my impression is that they were much more rigid and much more theoretically structured about what you, you can do and how you should do stuff than than we are today. And I think that people may have an, an opposite idea that in those days things were less advanced because it was a lot of time ago and people were more just uh, artistic or something like that. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, it's a big, it's a big, big, big topic that I've studied. I, let's say that uh, there were rules by the church, there were trends and likes by outside the church, um, and sometimes the theory came much later, so that you sort of you did something that was cool by imposed rules or a culture or mix, and then much later we said, oh, that's baroque music because they do this and this and this. So it's not always that set in stone, but it's it's like today. If you listen to you know we have certain standards and uh, it's following certain styles. But I was mm. thinking, if you don't mind, uh, because I'm really uh, intrigued by this, um, how, how does one get involved? I'm actually going to leave it over to Simon here and and ask a little bit about how you get involved in computer music. Simon, you're ready to take over? 
Oh, I, yeah. I, I, it's like it's like I'm watching the Sam and Lauturo show. I'm exact, yeah. just enjoying enjoying that. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, Reed, what do you what do you think? What, well, what, what I'm, are, cur I'm curious about if you're working on a game, what that process is. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you compose for something that has so many different storylines? So what, what's technically involved? That is such a good uh, question. And it usually, it just usually comes down to what the producers of the game are willing to do. Uh, how, how much uh, time are they willing to put into it, uh, to the music and stuff like that. Uh, and um, maybe I can give you a picture of it by telling you a bit about the pitfalls. So, for example, you can get some concept art. So they will tell you that we have this level, it's a world and we want music to reflect it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the serpent desert, let's say something like that. And uh, so it's this desert and the only creatures can survive there are different kinds of serpents. So we want the music to reflect that. So you start composing some background music. Uh, this is just going to go well with the visuals of, of this world. And you also think about how does music sound in a world where there are only snakes, with the sound snakes do and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so maybe one year passes and this song has been there all the time and stuff like that. And uh, two months before release, uh, they realize that snakes are not really fun gameplay. So suddenly it's the magical desert of all kinds of creatures. And maybe you don't have time to change the music, and maybe you do. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's very important. But I would say you can get concept art, um, you can get uh, uh, just talk with people and uh, uh, exchange ideas. Uh, I usually get very uh, triggered when, when somebody that made, well, it's not a good word, triggered, inspired, when they tell me about this, part of the game is like this, and then I have all these ideas about how the music could help um, uh, make that narrative stronger. Yeah, but uh, um, to answer your question, uh, one very typical way is that you, you get to see some graphics and somebody tells you about what is going to happen in the game, where are you when this music is going to play, and you start from there. And do you have to make little changes? Like, obviously, when you're in a game, sometimes somebody dies or or there's a sudden surprise of jump scare or whatever. Do you have to create all these different variations for, for all the things that could happen in the game? Well, again, that, that's up to the, to the game producers. But, yeah, often, yeah. So there are different ways to, to, to tackle that. The, the easiest way is to just, like in old games, like have a death fanfare. And when you die, the music <laughs> is cut off by the death fanfare. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then there's also uh, in, in adaptive music, we call it. So there are music engines that lets you uh, create music that can be more dynamic, that are 
more or less made on the fly. So, for example, you can um, you can fade. I, I can compose a song. So I, I would compose the song like the most intense version when you are really close to dying and uh, it's the most dramatic ever. But instead of just rendering it, I render it uh, in different tracks. And uh, uh, the things that make it most intense and dramatic is on their own tracks. Let's say that we have like a really thrill high a flute that comes in with an annoying ostinato when you're really close to 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 dying eh? and then so we could make that its own track and then we can um uh, by code we can connect it to how much uh, how injured the player is the more injured the player is the higher the volume of th these tracks that makes the music more intense so this way we can be assured that there will never be like a clash. It's the same song. You're just enhancing certain features depending on. So, so it's like the algorithm of the game is, is, is meshed in with the music, the music track. So it's able to bring those different elements in and out according to what's happening in, in the gameplay. So it's yes. like a, a flow chart or an algorithm you know, a, a unified algorithm that unifies the music and the action on the screen. Yeah. Um, I'm just sitting here thinking about Dragon Slayer. Uh, uh, do you, is that familiar to you, Laturo? Is um, it the, the, the old laser disc? The game. laser, man, listen, I had, I had books and tricks and, and how to go through every step. I must have spent $1,000 of quarters going through those levels, but it was like the, that was just so ingenious, you know, so those cutscenes and, and getting you immersed, you know, you had to save Daphne, you know, uh, yeah. and uh, so, but, but like everything was tied into those algorithms and it would cut to those things. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I guess this, this podcast has really uh, taken me down memory lane uh, a lot. So spent, spent so much time in those arcades and, um, and and now pinball is my thing now. I love uh, oh. I love the pinball machines. It's great, but they they are algorithmic too, and they have music elements in there uh, as well. But uh, course, yeah, that's great. Excellent. I have to say, Simeon, you 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 really made me so happy because you brought up <laughs> my two most important music creation devices in history: the Commodore sixty four. Mm -hmm. was not my first computer, but it was my second. And for me, the SID chip is yeah. the, uh. the best synth ever. The, the sounds that it's, it, it can produce uh, when made by a composer that knows this chip is amazing. And then the Amiga with the, with the sampling capability that was really bad, but also the way that they, they tried to uh, come over that and and just use it for what it was and and make it as the cool trackers. As you, you remember the trackers, the exactly. tracker players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I, I was really happy to hear that you yeah, you knew about that. But Lau, do you need then to have some sort of? Um, I mean, you're a programmer already, so you know this. But do you need to have some? Uh, if you're gonna work as a composer, do you need some skills in some basic programming or a or tool, a scripting tool, or something like that? If you're gonna work as a game composer, yeah. yeah. If you're gonna no. work as a game composer, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. Uh, so I'd say that as a game composer, 
you can be uh, yeah so uh, game development has this really interesting uh, concept of a technical artist a tech artist you have this in the graphical part as well so as an uh, if you need an artist for a game you can take a traditional artist you can hire somebody that knows how to draw if maybe you want to have hand-drawn images in your game right so but there's also the need for the link between the animator or 3d modeler or or uh, illustrator and the the technical aspect of presenting the visuals on the screen and that's that's the technical artist it's somebody that knows how to program what you need as an artist to make it look good on screen and you kind of have that with music as well but i would say that it's a plus if you can do this for example there are middleware programs i think um, the, the two most um, important ones are FMOD and uh, uh, WISE or W, I don't know how to pronounce it, I think it's two W's. So, I think it's WISE, yeah. Yeah, uh, and those are, are a bit technical, but they don't require you to program, they would require you to coordinate with somebody on the technical end that knows how to program also for the same software so it's kind of a link between the composer and and the the, um, the code but if you're a good composer and you can just produce the music then uh, it's not a problem if you can't uh, code so nobody would expect a music composer to be able to code okay do, do you work uh, closely with a director in or do you just work separately and turn music in? Uh, that, that's also it could be it could be both ends of the spectrum. That's what what I meant with when I said it's it's um, comes down to to what um, the producers are willing to put into it. I of course would would uh, prefer to work with somebody that wants to be involved. Uh, oh no, not not really preferred. I mean that can also be an issue if they want to be too involved <laughs> so but i i think that it's not healthy either to say okay we're making a space game and you have to uh, yeah save the princess uh, daphne from the space dragon uh, come back in half a month when you have the soundtrack that's uh, that's very risky because probably they're not gonna have the same game anymore after six months it can be any, anything in between really Cool. So, how how do you get paid? If I can ask, if what is a game? How does it work for game? Do people get a flat fee? Do they get paid for the time that they work on a game? I I think it's quite similar to uh, um, to other composition areas. So. <clears throat> It can be it can be either way. It can be a flat fee, and there are rates. I think it's um, for the the higher tiers of game development companies. They, they're so, the so-called AAA companies. Uh, there are 
you, you can find on the internet typical fees and rates. And I would say that they come quite close to, to the movie and TV industry. But below that, with more with the indie development uh, scene. So the indie scene, it's called when you have a company that it could be just one person that doesn't have a salary. It's just, or she is just creating the game of their dreams. Or it could be four or five people uh, working without a publisher. So th th they are independent. Yeah. Then anything goes. Uh, you just have to uh, negotiate something. If there are, if there's anybody out there listening, thinking about having questions about uh, uh, their career, then um, yeah, it, it's I think for, for beginning, it's a it's a, a struggle. There's so much music that's free, so the composition is really really fierce, and uh, at some point you just gonna have to start charging. And you're gonna have to say no to the ones that want to pay you with uh, exposure. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say that in the not in, below the 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 triple A or double A, it's also uh, revenue sharing is quite common. And th then a typical would be I would say between five and fifteen percent of the of uh, of the revenue for doing for doing music maybe between five and ten if you do music and also sound effects if you're into that then maybe up to 15 would be reasonable i'm curious when you're making chiptune music you now can make pretty much anything you want using software but do you ever go do you limit yourself in the way the do you ever write music as if all you had were the tools that people had long ago or do you just use all the freedom you have now that is such a good topic and uh, it's something i struggle with daily <laughs> because uh yeah you know the the there's a uh, there's a big chiptune underground uh, community and people that are into chiptune music are usually very very into it so there are these kind of flame wars on the internet that it's not chiptune music if you do this and that so i i love this music uh, uh, it's part of my childhood and i have so much respect for how they work with the restrictions but I I I I think that the restrictions are so cool because they created so much, but they can't be a an an ends of their own. Like there's no there there's no reason to have them if they don't give you anything more than be able to brag and say, hey, I only did this with three channels. You know, uh, you can do that as well, do that as well. But I just don't see that it will give any more value to somebody enjoying the music unless they're really into and understand what that is about. So I don't restrict restrict myself because I think that's the way you should do chiptune music. I restrict myself because I realize if I don't do 
I uh, risk of I risk it and not uh, sounding like chip tune music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for example, w- one of the things w- that that made the music what it is is that you can't play a chord with the SID chip, the Commodore 64, and and a lot of the other systems. You could have three voices at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. And that's not like we think about it today, that you can press three keys on the keyboard. No, you can press three keys on the keyboard, but when you press a fourth key, it's going to kill the first sound. It's not going to trail off. You're not going to have the release or anything like that. So, so you have to take all that into account. So they would never do a chord with with three voices because well unless it was maybe like an intro part or, or like a break where you would only have these cool chords yeah chord steps so what they would do to have chords is that they would play a chord on one channel with one voice doing a very fast mm-hmm. i think in piano it's called a, a bro- bro- broken chord like an arpeggio yeah arpeggio, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, exactly. <laughs> but you would do it so fast, so it wouldn't even sound like. It would just sound like a. It would sound like one sound, but it had all the harmonic information of a chord, and it would fill the same function. Uh, and that's very uh, uh, typical for the sound. So if you just let yourself go and use uh, as many tracks as you want or as many as many voices as you want, you're gonna quickly find that it doesn't sound chip tuny enough. Another that, thing. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, a- another example is like uh, uh, if you have drums, if you have very long drum sounds, mm. you could do that. You could have like long snare sounds. But if you also want to have to have a cool bass and you want to have a melody and you have, want to have some chords and maybe also if it's a game, one of those channels at least need to be sound effects. So maybe at some points you only have two channels. So one thing that you could do is to make the bass and the drum sounds the same sounds. Mm. So imagine if you have a bass that's... Um, uh, very snappy, like a kick drum, but it's still a note. And you program it so that the first uh, one-tenth of a second, it has just a, a static noise, like a sound. And you would play like a really uh, fast, uh, cool, funky chord progression with this short snappy sounds then it would kind of feel the same function as a hi-hat following the bass because you would have this sharp sounds and then you would have the bass tones that is the bass line but it would also have the function as a kick drum so in a lot of sounds you're not going to hear a kick drum because it was you couldn't afford a kick drum and a bass sound at the same time. Uh, and then when you want to fit in a snare drum, it would probably be very short. Even if, if you had space for a kick, dr- for a longer snare there, uh, if you make it short, maybe you could also fit in two high notes 
that harmonizes the melody and kind of just gives a little bit of of rhythmic flavor. So that's another key thing of uh, chip to music that you get these very staccato sounds. It's a lot of things going on, like every uh, every little space that you have in between sounds, you can fill it with something that can harmonize with something else. I just find it so fascinating that these extreme limitations is really what push forward creativity. And that's something to really think about when yeah. we have, you know, three billion sounds that we can choose from and how many channels we can dream of today. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's something to think about. So I, I, I don't force myself to work with only three channels or three sounds, but I always try to make it sound like it comes from there. Like I use these te techniques and, and to recreate the sound. Mm. Uh, and I also think that some of the limitations uh, did not create good things. <laughs> Uh, some of the things that that you have in tradi traditional chiptune maybe just sounds bad. So I don't see a, a reason to recreate that. Uh, just use these cool techniques techniques that were uh, developed. You uh, use them uh, to make cool music. But do you do anything to create it? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not a super gamer, even I enjoy a game when I have time. But uh, what I'm familiar with is what you call retro games or 8-bit games or something like that. You can correct me. Uh, is there a, something that you try to do in order to sound a bit like that, in, even though you don't follow the rules? You know what I mean? Oh, no. But all, all, all these things that, that I uh, talked about, like uh, uh, especially the, the fast... Uh, um, I call them ARP chords, mm. uh, these, these very fast arpeggios uh, that sounds like only one sound, but they are uh, the whole chords. I use them a lot, for example, and I, I don't use uh, three voices to make a chord uh, that plays uh, simultaneously, because that's usually something that you... you you don't have in, in a lot of, of chip tune because it was just a, a waste of precious channels. Mm. Uh, later on, you had other machines that had better capabilities uh, with more tracks and so on. So you would uh, get with them, um, like in the 90s, the Sega Mega Drive, Sega Genesis, or also some of the arcade machines, they would have chips with uh, FM synths. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was uh, a, another way to, to have more diversity. Those machines would usually have more tracks as well. Uh, and then you got a little bit more of, of um, music with parts where you would make up chords and harmonies by uh, playing like we do traditionally on, on a keyboard. Uh, yeah. Come to think of it, with with those machines, you more or less did not get these really, really fast chords anymore. Hmm. Uh, if if you if you look at the the songs from from that era, because then already the composers had maybe up to eight or uh, even more uh, voices, so they they didn't feel the need. I think I can imagine that th those kind of, of 
uh, ARP courts were also, they, because they, they were probably considered like the cheap, <laughs> the, the cheap man's courts. Yeah. Uh, it's something that you do when you don't have a better technique. Eh? So, so they, they didn't want to do that, I can imagine, it, because it sounded old. But today it sounds retro, so mm. people like that. <laughs> cool. Do you think it affected your work as a composer, the fact that you started out as a dancer? Uh, yes, yes. I think it affected me um, because I think that uh, rhythm has been uh, easier for me than uh, harmony and, and traditional. So at, at least in the beginning, like I could, uh, uh, without studying any music theory, I could take a drum machine and uh, put together some cool breaks and uh, beats and loops and stuff like that. And um, uh, and I guess I, I, I always try to, to work with the melody and the har harmonies uh, rhythmically as well, because it's easier for me. Yeah, it's definitely good to have, uh, as I call it sometimes, uh, uh, cross-training that you have several things that can really help you if you, you know, study programming, dance or painting, anything, it, it can definitely give you wisdom. So it's always, it's good to do many things, I say. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, is there, a, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but I was wondering if there is any specific um, process to get hired to start working on a game? Does somebody contact you? Do you have your things out? Or do you say, I'm for hire? Or do you search for jobs? Or anything? I, I think uh, uh, most game companies don't, don't hire, they, they don't employ uh, musicians. There has to be quite a big game company to have that. So you'll probably be working mostly as a, as a freelance, like I do. So I am absolutely worthless at, at doing marketing and being out there. And uh, uh, yeah, my my girlfriend talked me into uh, doing an Instagram, uh, but I'm really bad at updating it, especially when I have so many important creative things to do. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the way to do it. I honestly, I have to say that it, it is it is quite a uh, quite a brutal uh, uh, scene to get into. A lot of people want to do it, and uh, um, now that I am doing it and I am on the inside, I uh, well before also I I had I have a lot of friends that are also game developers and on on some of them i can see kind of the um that the, the <laughs> they have a, a bit of um what do you call it they're, they're a bit tired of getting contacted by people mm. that want to want them to, to buy their music seems to happen a lot mm. uh, especially for 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 indie developers 
Uh, and uh, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper and tell people to stay away and stuff like that. I mean, it's a hustle, yeah? You have to, uh, you have to, uh, you have to make it somehow. And I'm not going to judge people on, on, on how they do it. But you have to find a way to get noticed and uh, uh, try to uh, find people to work together with. Like if you're not a, an experienced composer, uh, if you don't have a lot of uh, things to show, if you don't have a lot of contacts, uh, maybe it's a little bit too much to expect an established um, a game developer to mm. choose you. So maybe then start like the game developer did and do your own thing, maybe with a starting game developer. And then you do a smaller thing and you have something to show and build up there. Like, um, yeah, but it's difficult. Oh, I, I, I forgot something, uh, Samuel, when you were talking about the how interesting it was with the, the limitations and the creativity. So one of the pioneers with the Commodore 64 SID chip, mm. it was, he's called Rob Hubbard, and he uh, was, uh, at the time, he pioneered a lot of these techniques. Well, I guess there were a lot of people that that did it in the same era, but he was definitely one of the first. Uh, he actually got, in, in modern times, an honorary degree from a music academy for uh, the for uh, developing this technique and he created some really 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 good music um, another thing that's interesting regarding this and this uh, retro community is that uh, uh, yeah i'm probably also not gonna get so many friends for saying this but i'm pretty sure that a lot of our i'm not gonna name names but i'm pretty sure that a lot of ours our heroes from that time, the composer legends, mm. they are not part of the retro scene. They don't glorify those days. Mm. They don't think of those machines as wonderful. Mm. They were you guys, but the people that hire you would say, yep, you're only allowed to work this way. You don't get any musicians, you don't get any orchestra, and you have to deal with it. Just make it sound as good as you can. And if you don't make it sound good enough, then we're going to have to take some other people mm. next time. Yeah. So yeah. uh, you, you, for, for a lot of them, you don't find chip music made for them from the era after chip music was the only thing like when sampling came in and and you could have recorded music on CDs for the games that's what they did and uh, I think a lot of them have not been doing any kind of chip style music since that era mm. uh, yeah <laughs> so it's just uh, uh, people like Simeon and, and me and uh, uh, a bunch of kids that have rediscovered this music mm. that think it's really cool. Mm. <laughs> that, it's like, like yeah. it's kind of like the movie industry, I guess, in Reboot. Hold on, something know. happened now. Hold on. Oh, we're still the here. The speaker's muted. We still hear you. Oh. Everybody's here. On, oh, yeah. now it's back. I think we Sorry. lost him for a second. We're, we're back. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, it's, it's like classic movies. Uh, it's like, you know, 
we we love the Three Stooges. I love the Little Rascals and the Three Stooges and um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But those things did not do well when they were originally released. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not very successful, but it's only now that we're discovering it and they become iconic in our culture. Uh, and it's like, you know, uh, the guys that, that slaved in, in those uh, studios and programming those, it's like, it's like they, they, they've already gone past it, but, but they created just, just such an iconic pieces of our, of our culture. Uh, and, and they're, they're just now getting appreciated in this way. Uh, which is amazing. We're still talking about it. It's mm-hmm. it's 2021, yeah. and we're 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 still in love with with just like these these uh, lo-fi stuff, the retro stuff. It, it because yeah. it it connected with something emotionally mm-hmm. and personally with us uh, when we were, you know, we were influenced by them so much. You know, um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I always so, say, for example, it, it, the actors in Star Wars, they all thought that that movie is going to bomb hard because they thought it was the most ridiculous thing they've ever done. It's very interesting to hear about that. They thought it was to- completely insane, the whole movie. And then yeah. they just did some magic in the cunning room and it's like, oh, yeah, it yeah. worked. <laughs> so so yeah. you, you remember when 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 we were kids, you, you were out running like with a, with a Walkman and like maybe you would be exercising in the woods and I would actually slow down because it would disturb the music. It would the music would start to wobble and or the batteries. Yeah. Like I'm running and there's this really the best part of the song and I would have to slow down because it would annoy me so much. Well that was just really, really annoying. Mm-hmm. Or when you have the CDs, the CD if you had a CD skip. workman, it would skip. Sometimes it would it would just stop playing and you would have to press play again. So, but this this wobbling, that's like the basics of a lot of the uh, synth music today. Like this. Yeah, we've got plugins now. We've got plugins now. It's a tape. It's a cassette. uh, You know. Okay, let's get the warble. Uh, We need the more more noise. Let's get more noise and warble and and yeah. Let's skip. Yeah, yeah. What's old is new again, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel any nostalgia for those uh, days. All I was trying <laughs> to do was to get that hiss and noise out of them. Anybody who worked with a, with a reel-to-reel TAC doesn't have any nostalgia about uh, adding noise. That's <laughs> true. I agree so, with you, Reed. I just want to say there are some people who still really like they love their uh, eight tracks and stuff like that. They're trying to they mix through them. Yeah. But, uh, and even today, you can buy, buy plugins that had noise in there. I don't get that. But oh, listen, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, <laughs> you know, we just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary, and so right. I was, I was, mm-hmm. I will thank you. Uh, I was uh, like the night of the wedding rehearsal. I had a Fostex eight track reel to reel. And two radio, uh, two cassette recorders. So the, back in the day, I would I would record something, take that cassette out, put it in the cassette player in top, play through that, run it through the mixer, record, play. So you'd stack that way. So, but the problem was the Radio Shack cassette uh, players um, ran at a different speed than the normal ones. So so I had my wife uh, recite. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and it was beautiful until I bounced it to the Radio Shack recorder 
And then it, it pitch shifted her voice like up an octave. So when we played it at the, at the uh, and this is kind of cool too. I had uh, an Akai uh, 12-bit sampler and I had, now, and this is kind of interesting because we, we, we're coming full circle. So Dune, uh, the, the Dune, I think we, we were married in 80, uh, 86. So Dune had been released in the theater and I had the cassette of the um, soundtrack and there was this whooshing opening that came in. So I used, I sampled that and used that. And then you have my wife's voice, though I speak in the tongues of men. And, and so it's like, so it's, that's nostalgia. Uh, but it's, it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy how things kind of come full circle. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but by the, by the fifth time you bounced that cassette or whatever, it was like, it was utter, it was insanity how how noisy everything was so but it's it's a lot of fun we can laugh we can laugh now um about it yeah. i i have i got this really brilliant uh, vision of what you said uh, read about not being nostalgic like so i can imagine your frustration if you've seen the technology evolve so you don't have to fight all this hiss and noise and the reason for this technical development was that so today's producers can say, okay, we don't have any noise, we can do whatever we want, now we can fill it with the noise I want. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but I do think that people listen to these old records and they like the way they sound and they want to recreate the way they sound. I understand that and, and I don't feel that because I remember how frustrated I was and all the different noise reduction equipment I was using that didn't work. So I don't, it doesn't re bring any of those feelings out in me. Mm. And, but I don't know, I just got an instrument that has a lot of noise and hiss in it and I've turned it up. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Maybe there are some noises I do like. I, I wanted to ask you uh, what you're working on now. Can you tell us about about that project? Yeah. So uh, with a, a game music composition, I'm doing a game called Chaos Hour, uh, and it's a retro style game. It's a there's a very famous game uh, franchise called uh, Heroes of Might and Magic. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't play it a lot. I think I pl played a little bit of one, two, and three in back in those days. But I think there have been like, I don't know, nine or 10. So it's been a long franchise, yeah. And uh, I got contacted by this guy, uh, Benjamin, that makes this game. So he wanted me to replace the game. He's a really brilliant guy. I he. He's, he's not uh, even a professional coder. Well, he's now, but that's not his profession. He just wanted to make a game and he did it. And uh, uh, it, it, it got uh, a lot of traction in the industry and people really liked it. Basically, he made like uh, something inspired by Heroes of Might and Magic, but uh, uh, in Heroes of Might and Magic, it was turn-based and uh, the, the battles. And now they're, they're not, uh, turn turn based, uh, so they're a bit, a bit more frantic, and um, so we're we're trying to keep the the musical tradition of of these kind of games. For example, it's kind of a strategy game, so you are like a 
if you imagine a, a fantasy medieval warlord and you have to build your empire. So you're going to roam around looking for uh, assets to conquer. And when you do that, you get more resources. And uh, when you conquer uh, different places, different uh, parts of the world, you can recruit, recruit different unit types. So, for example, if you go up to the Goblin Mountains and uh, you have a castle there, then you can recruit goblins and trolls and stuff like that. So you, you can have this horde of different kind of monsters. So, for example, when you are in a city in the evil mountains, then uh, you, you click on that town to manage the town, decide what kind of uh, uh, buildings you want to invest in and a lot of other decisions. So then you want to have music that um, uh, that evokes the feeling of that culture, of that place, or, and so on. So the, you have all these different factions uh, in the game, and they all, all have their own music. Uh, another thing is the AI music. Uh, still today, but more in those days, you would have to wait when you end your turn. The, the computer has to calculate what the other uh, enemy factions are going to do. The, the computer-run uh, uh, players. So while it's doing that, it plays some music just to keep a company. Uh, so end-of-turn music and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a lot of fun uh, doing that. And then so we have based on the older oh, version because aren't it? Yeah, I, I know Simon put it up. I should have done it too, but he did. Is that based on the older version? Because aren't there quite a few ones uh, of this game? Aren't there many versions? Yes. So it's the the current version is uh, uh, probably the easiest one to see. Mm. But uh, one thing though, when when you look at the videos uh, of people playing Heroes Hour, they're quite a lot of uh, YouTube streamers and such that have, have uh, shown it and played it, they all feature the old music. So none of oh, that. Okay. So, so, but, but the, the uh, most recent version has uh, some of my music and some of the old music. Basically, I came in there to replace the old music and to do the, the sound effects as well. Sounds like a lot of work. It's a big project. It is, it is. But it's it's so much fun with this thing. Like, imagine if you get uh, ten different factions, and you 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 get uh, the history of each fa each factions. The, mm. This is a culture of uh, uh, expelled uh, uh, demon necromancers that fled into the. Uh, the pits of this mountain and created their own city and then they came up uh, uh, looking for vengeance and to take over the world so you have to compose their theme and so on mm -hmm. so yeah it's a lot of fun and the the battles are so hectic uh, they're very small uh, retro pixel sprites but there are a lot of them and uh, they just tear each other to pieces and bits pixel by pixel uh, and yeah that that's also an interesting thing i think uh, when 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 you ask me about like how does it affect the way i compose mm -hmm. this is a good example so so here the uh, the producer the coder benjamin 
he told me that he needed music for this battle. So I need to find something, some parameters. So I'm like, okay, how long is a battle? Oh, that depends. Okay, but more or less. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it can be, in the start, it will be between 15 seconds and 30 seconds, maximum up to a minute, uh, because you're not going to have that many units. Okay. What, what about the end game, like when you have the largest uh, armies? Yeah, maybe three minutes. Okay, so, 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 so then, uh, then you know that if you're going to make music for a battle that probably is going to last between 15 and 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can loop it, you can do a longer song, of course, but it's going to end when the battle ends. And uh, uh, if the battle goes on, when the music ends, what's going to happen then? So you, you're going to want to compose something that can loop mm. endlessly. Eh? Mm. But you, you want to make a song that makes sure that after 45 seconds, you have heard everything that's interesting. Mm. So if you make a song that's three minutes, and then it cuts off at 40 seconds every time, and the best part is after two minutes, mm. then yeah, it's not going to make sense. Really so, point, yeah. so that's a very, very interesting limitation, like mm. uh, composing. You don't want it to be boring after you, you've heard it 50 times. Mm. But also, you need to make sure that all the stuff you want the people to hear needs to be within that frame. Because wow. you, you'll stop hearing it. Your brain will just kind of tune it out if, if it's just so re too repetitive. So throwing yeah. in different bits here and there just kind of keep the brain awake and, and engaged with what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Uh, so, so that was a lot of fun. So I, I ended up doing some tracks for short battles and some tracks for uh, longer battles. And then we, we, uh, we're going to have an algorithm that tries to figure out, based on the armies that clash, if this is going to be a big battle or a shorter battle. Uh, and then there's another thing. If you have uh, 100 units that have, all have these crazy sound effects, like when they attack each other and when they die, and then you could have music on top of that, you also need to make some kind of music that uh, still works with with that. So, yeah, it's a lot of uh, trial and error. But that's what I do uh, music-wise. And then I also have time uh, working on a portfolio for orchestral music, because uh, that's my, uh, my next step. That's how I, I, I got to know uh, Samuel, by the way, because I think his channel is so excellent when it comes to teaching how to work with these orchestral libraries to make it sound uh, uh, realistic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the plug there. Yeah. So uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, very interesting. I really, really I learned to, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask so Arturo, uh, so be watching for reads. Uh, uh, video series on how to promote yourself. So that's going to be good. <laughs> That'd be a good series to be watching for uh, yeah. because it's like that's the hardest thing because especially when you're doing uh, doing it all yourself, you've got to, you've got to, you know, it's, it's those Instagram things or those little things to, 
you know, it's like you're in a crowd of a thousand people and you're, you're just like, here I am, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it's a very competitive. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that, uh, just working out all of those different things that go on. Uh, yeah. And it's just fascinating. I, I'd love to ask you guys some questions as well, if we have Shoot. time. I, yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't know if you have a schedule somewhere, or or is, is there like a program? Well, oh, for this podcast, we're we're running a little bit over the normal time that we have, so so uh, we 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 would like to finish soon if possible. But well, well, what is the question? We'll see. Well, now I would like to ask Reed, what are your best tips for uh, promoting yourself as a composer musician? Well, my class is mostly aimed at people who tell stories, like so filmmakers, writers, uh, podcast makers, and so on. But I think it could be interesting, but it's, it's something that I think is going to take me a year. So it's hard for me to sum it up in, in a very, very short while, because, you know, I want to be dealing with social media and all the different versions of it and and um but how could i give it to you in a in a nutshell i i i think that's hard that's hard for me to do but i i think um you have to find out what it is that makes your work special and you have to be able to communicate that in a brief way so that there is um with movies they always have like a little description like you have in netflix there'll be like two sentences and that's all you get besides the picture so i always want to say what is it and then the other part is you have to see the movie to find out mm. so if you're working on a game a lot of times, if you go to see these experts, master classes on how to find a description, they'll be go, there's a protagonist and he finds this and this is the background and then this happens and then everything changes. And I don't really care much about that. I think that the whole purpose of it is to make people want to watch something, to watch your game. And, you know, so you are involved with something you are part of the team that is telling a story. And if you can get people excited about that story, then you can get people excited about you because they're doing an interview with you where you can then tease that story. It's all about the tease. And uh, so I hope that, that you will watch my course if I can ever get it done and, <laughs> and you'll find it interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, also, that that summary was excellent. I think. All right. I was wondering, Lau, where can we find your work? Do you have any web pages, or is there any project anywhere we can go? And if you want to check out your music, where where we want to go? Yeah, I I have some stuff on, uh, like I I have two two albums out. One one with the music from a. Uh, a mobile game that I made for a clothes company. It was like a thing they had for two months in their mobile app. So it's not available anymore. But I, 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 uh, 
made sure that the contract said that I could have the rights to publish the music because I, I was going to do a soundtrack for that game as well. It was included. And then I wanted to publish it because I didn't want it to just be forgotten. <laughs> so, yeah, by my name. And then there's another album with songs that I've done from from that I started doing for games that were never released, that, like they were uh, cancelled. This that happens uh, quite often in this industry, I think as well. Um, and then my SoundCloud, you can find my SoundCloud by my name. And I there, link I, that below actually, so people. Oh, have. thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. And there, I have some music for uh, from Obsidian Prints. It's not the full soundtrack. The full soundtrack will be released uh, on uh, yeah, iTunes and Spotify and everything uh, when the game is released. It's still in early access, so you can buy it, you can play it, but it's not uh, fully done as a game uh, yet. The, the soundtrack is. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so I would say the SoundCloud has uh, most of it. All right. Well, that sounds really excellent. Uh, we would like to thank you very much, Lau, for participating. Uh, it was really nice to have you here, mm -hmm. learning you thought. I was really interested, especially, I don't know about Amazing. you guys, about this, how to work in the gaming industry and how to create the music, if it's similar to what we do or different. But we, we learn a lot. So thank you very much for sharing those insights. So I'm, I'm very, very flattered to, to be here. I mean, I, sure. I, I was and am a fan of your uh, podcast and now I am suddenly on it. <laughs> that's a bit crazy. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Uh, so that's going to be it for this episode. We hope we all enjoyed it. And you know, if you know, if you like it, please let us know by hitting the subscribe button or the like button. Uh, so if you do the subscribe thing, you won't miss the next episode. And don't be afraid to write us a comment or two. And if you listen to us via podcast, you can always rate the podcast so we are more seen out there. Okay, so that's going to be it for this time. So until next time, we wish you all a good unit of time. See you soon. <laughs> Take care. See you guys. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.